This is CliffCentral.com. Good morning. Welcome to the Bounce Show here in September. New studios, new look, new feel. All very, very exciting. Kicking off with some Cascade and Skrillex today. Yeah, it's the kind of mood we're in. The sun is out. Winter is done. Happy, happy days and just so, so much sport. Got two all-star guests in today. We've got Tabanka Gledi. Sorry, I was just getting a bit tongue-tied at that one. Uh, Tabang is my football go-to guy. I know I've had lots of football correspondents in the show, but Tabang does some writing for the Bounce and he did a feature recently was Transfers with Tabang, which was, well, one of my favorite things in a while because there's been the good, the bad, the ridiculous, the ugly. Um, sorry, Tabang, there you are. Your mic's on now, huh? There you go. Oh, is it? Yeah, just uh, say hi. Yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thrust upon you. So, Bung's going to join us in about 10 minutes or so once I get through the headlines. So, yeah, Tabang had his big feature with us um, all about the transfers. So, there's so much to catch up on with him around there. There's also Bafana Bafana, uh, Sheikhs Mashaba. Oh, topics, topics galore. And then uh, Dan from Conquer Sports coming in, and he has a topic. I mean, he always has great topics, but this one in particular this week is like, Offspring box supporters really just, or they just think they're entitled to greatness all the time. Or they, be, they become so deluded where this team is right now and these like, um, illusions of grandeur that we may have. So that's me, well, bumbling through the topic, but Dan's going to be very succinct with how he gets through this because whenever he puts his mind to a topic, he absolutely kills it. So, so I'm really looking forward to chatting to him. But yeah, there is just so much to get through. We've got Paralympics starting this week, which is also hugely exciting. Now, I put something on the site on the Bounce of Sailors today last week about how these guys just are absolutely so incredible. Got to bring it back on the beat. Yeah, these guys are the true Olympians in my mind. So we've got that to look forward to this week. Next week, we've actually got a guy called Jeff Yates. So I hope it's next week. I hope he's available. Um, Jeff is, he lives his life in a wheelchair. And uh, this guy is so passionate about sport. He's really knowledgeable. So I want to chat to him. I mean, Jeff doesn't really get, um, doesn't let life hold him back. He is doing everything he wants to do. He's a really good guy. And um, we can get his perspective on the whole Paralympics next week. And yeah, just a whole bunch of other things. So before I dilly or dally any longer, we need to get into the headlines and get through what this big weekend of sport was. All right, that's me breathing in and breathing out. Okay, so two days to go until the Paralympics. Um, but yeah, shit's hitting the fan there already, okay? So this is what's happening. Well, of course, it's the Paralympics. Every four years, it just goes after the Summer Olympics, right? So... When you think that these guys are any way, shape, or form different, obviously there's the obvious, like they've got different categories and stuff like that. But when it comes to wanting to win, no difference whatsoever. Uh, Aussie gold medal cyclist Michael Gallagher being bust for EPO. So I don't think they're not taking drugs as well, these guys. They are just as hungry to get ahead. And then there's classification cheating. Now, this is something that's going to be quite interesting to get into. And I'm going to try to get the thoughts of Dr. Ross Tucker in this as well. There are people who are exaggerating their handicaps in order to then compete against people who are less able than them. So that is their plan, okay? But now the people who are legit handicapped for the class that they're in are not call- calling foul. They're saying, well, hang on a second. I've got cerebral palsy, whatever. And here's a guy who's maybe not quite as, as bad off as I am, but we keep, we're competing against each other. So there's big shit around that at the moment, which hopefully won't dog this, this, uh, the Rio games for them. But I'll definitely keep you updated on that. And then maybe uh, when we chat to Jeff next week, he'll be able to spread some more light on it. 
The big story, well, one of the big stories, there's just so many over the last sort of few days of last week into the weekend, is that SA are now bidding to host the 2023 Rugby World Cup. Now, this is quite an interesting one for me because didn't Fakile Rasmataz, Minister of Social Media and Excitement Mumbalula, didn't he say that we can't have any international um, events? Uh, just, I don't know, something, something's not quite right here. We tried to get him on the Gareth Cliff Show this morning, which is now on Touch Central and Cliff Central. And um, he mysteriously then had a flight. Same, we tried to have him on previously as well. Exact same excuse. Oh, sorry, I've got a flight to catch. Now, you don't just catch a flight. You plan for a flight, right? This is no mystery to me. So these excuses are really wishy-washy. Anyway, he said he'll then come into studio and then discuss these things with Gareth and I. I'm hugely excited about this. Uh, we need a full hour, definitely. I've got some questions for him. So if this is the case, okay, so our SA Rugby can't host any international events, but then the penny kind of drop, literally and figuratively, how much money they can make. Suddenly it's like, okay, didn't quite get the transformation targets, but you know what? Let's get that World Cup. Let's get the people coming in. There's no brainer for me. This World Cup is an absolute win if we were to get it. We're up against Ireland, Italy, and France. Now, call me partisan, whatever you want, but those countries can't hold a flame to what South Africa can offer from a Rugby World Cup perspective. Firstly, we had a 95 massive success at a very difficult time in this nation. Secondly, we've got um, Empress Sepp Blatter came here and fleeced us and gave us stadiums we'll never use. We've got stadiums. We've got the stadiums. We can play... We can play World Cup finals in like five different cities in this country and still do it justice. We've got the infrastructure. We've got um, a rugby-mad country with full these stadiums. It's going to be amazing. So maybe this is good news, but there's always a catch at the moment, isn't there? Because something from government's going to come in and uh, screw it up for us. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Warren Gatlin is going to be the British and Irish Lions coach again. The... New Zealand-born Welsh coach. I uh, took them down into Australia last time when they beat them. So this time around, 2017, there's going to be 10 matches, and uh, three of which will be test matches against the All Blacks, which is kind of like fighting against Thunder, no matter who you are. Whether you're one country or you all these home countries coming together, you're not going to beat the All Blacks, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, Gatlin's obviously going to take them out there. He took his Welsh team there earlier this year and had a pretty good go against the All Blacks. Got to give him credit with that. With the Lions... Like it's always a big draw card in sport, but hey, this is the All Blacks. This is the biggest draw card in sport. Elson Junchies is training with the Smirrocks at the moment, but still not certain if he will actually start on Saturday, which will co- ask a couple of questions. Firstly, um, is this another injury that he's had prior this season? I know he had um, an arm injury. I think he had a knee injury as well. So the fact that it's now a thigh or groin injury, it's a bit worrying that he's just been quite plagued throughout the year. But yeah, he's been having to play all the time because he's been the first choice for the Lions. Secondly, if he's not going to play, then are there options or is there only one option? Now, we all know test cricket, sorry, test rugby, it's one on the small margins, so goal kicking is a huge deal. Tactical kicking for the, for the Springboks has been quite woeful throughout this whole year. So, when he falls away, people might say, oh, well, Johan Hussen's an exciting prospect. He was there four or five years ago under Heine Kamea. But they're obviously going to go with Mornay Stane because of the idea he's a good kicker. Didn't show it last time out against Argentina, but they'll definitely put him in there as a percentage call. And then uh, probably keep Huston at fullback. So this is the week where we'll see all about that. If you follow me on Twitter at Follow the Bounce, I'll keep up to date with all of those things. Because that is the next match, 10 September, which is Saturday. Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. 
Yeah, sure, let's go with it. Yeah, 10 September Saturday, 12.05 SA time, Australia versus SA. They'll be played in Brisbane, which used to be a stronghold of Australian rugby, but they've taken a few beatings there. Some of actually from the Springboks. So hopes are pretty high to win this one. I think that the Australian matches are going to be the yardstick. I know the box haven't done well against Argentina. They had a squeaky little win at home, and then they sort of butchered away. I think the alarms, the alarm bells, which are already ringing, but it will truly come home for Alistair Kutsia if they can't get a win against the Aussies, because the Aussies right now, I mean, they've lost the last five tests they've played. Grant has been against strong opposition, but they've not done well. Last six, actually, if you include the World Cup final. So that is a real big, big test for them. The Curry Cup's kicking on. Um, I wrote an article last week about the importance of this. Uh, you can find it on my social media uh, threads. Look, it is a good tournament. Obviously, it doesn't have the star quality that it used to have back in the day, but you know, you can't keep saying that for the last 10 years. So uh, there's lots to look out for here. There's some new stars coming through, and I think if we ever want to you know, broaden our debate about the Springboks because that's what we always do because we believe they should always win, which ties into Dan's chat in a, in a few minutes. We need to look at what the next level is. So we need to look at the players coming through. So if we're going to bitch about a player, then we must have solutions and options as well. So Friday, Borland 25-22 of the Pumas. Uh, Blue Bulls very strong against the Golden Lions. It didn't take any of the opportunities. They went down 31-17 to the Pretoria side. Cheetahs were very good, 57-25, and Western Province, 34-27 over the Sharks. In football, well, I won't get into football now because Tabung's right here, so I'll just touch on that with him. But uh, cricket, seems that Ram have not renewed their sponsorship with CSA. Now, we all know the story here. There was all the match-fixing that happened around the T20 bash last year, and... Um, yeah, well, look, who wants to really put the money into that? We still don't really know the whole story of who Gwilym Bodhi spoke to. There's umming and ahhing. The few guys have been banned or suspended. Ugh, who really knows? It's not exactly an exciting prospect, I think, for new sponsors either because November 12th, okay, that's not too far away. November 12th is when the tournament starts again, and they haven't got a sponsor just yet. It's going to be very interesting times for SA Cricket to see how they can pull that one out of the fire because it's got to have money. Every single part of sport has to have money. Um, Australia, they wrapped up their... ODI series against Sri Lanka, they won 4-1. Same score that England beat Pakistan, although Pakistan finally won one at the end there. That's really good for them. And then the racial quotas are now officially in place for SA Cricket. The Proteus team must be 54% black, but it must be 18% black African on top of that. And um, look, obviously, there's been naysayers around the transformation thing. No matter what your stance on transformation is, I think when... The Proteus are doing here, okay, this is the national objective. This is what every team has essentially got to have to be representative of the, um, the nation. So before people get so upset and I mean ahhing and calling foul and transformation and, and um, what do you call it, interference, the Proteus are kind of achieving these, these numbers anyway. This isn't really going to be a massive stretch. And when you think of it, this is my problem with this whole thing is, okay, all the quotas are coming at the top and that's where it's saying it's it, there's no gray area. I just really hope that they can just get all the stuff below this outright. And these, these figures will fall away. There's not a chance in this country when you look at the, the, the talent that we have and the numbers that we have that we're not going to just have a naturally, a natural SA team on merit that's going to depict these, these numbers and even exceed them. So let's not get too disappointed or upset about the fact that this is going to go ahead. Cricket South Africa has to bow to these numbers. They obviously want to pick their team on merit, and they do everything from grassroots level up to make sure that their merit side is representative because that's the way things will work out in a perfect world. 
So they have to do this. So I don't think CSA are selling out. This is just them cooperating in the country that we live in. Uh, in golf, the Deutsche Bank Championship is still going ahead at the moment. Uh, Paul Case, he's currently leading because it's a Monday Labor Day finish there. So he's leading after three sixty-sixes. In the Omega Masters, Alex Noren beats um, Scott Hend in a first-hole playoff. You've got a birdie there. But one of the big stories from, well, big sporting stories from the weekend live-wise was the Italian Grand Prix in Monza. So for the last six years, um, the guy who starts pole wins. Lewis Hamilton had pole. And, uh, well, out of nowhere, he went from first to sixth. So the first guy in seven years not to win the race from pole position. Nico Rosberg did, though. So good on him because he's making it quite interesting now. Everyone thought that Lewis Hamilton, after a slow start, will then just kick on. Everything will be fine. But now he only leads Rosberg by two points, and that's with seven races to go. So it's hugely exciting. And uh, if you are a Formula One fan, I don't need to tell you this. Or if you're an impartial Formula One fan, maybe there is something to look out for. I know it's been, it was so dogged by Red Bull being so dominant. Vettel was just killing it. Now it's Mercedes. Hamilton's so dominant. But at least there is some sort of one-two rivalry. Just to show you how dominant these Mercedes cars are, though. I mean, Hamilton had a cuck start. He went to sixth. He still fought his way back to finish second, and that was always like a foregone conclusion. But he couldn't beat the other car that was so much better than the rest, and that was his teammate, Rosberg. Yep, that is Formula One. Those are pretty much your headlines. We're going to come back after this little clip here, and we're going to chat all things football with Tabang. There was a whole bunch of um, World Cup qualifiers, AFCON qualifiers, all that kind of stuff. It's going to bring you the final moments of England's first game under Big Sam Allardyce. Playing time added to the added time. Maybe one last attack for England. Rose. He's done well, he's found a cross. Adam Lallana! It's in! Relief! 95th minute of Sam Allardyce's first game in charge of England. And Adam Lallana is his first goal scorer. Lucky general, maybe. Slovakia shattered. They've given so much to keep England now. But Adam Lallana has scored his first international goal at long last. It's just an overload, isn't it, of bodies? What a time to score. Rose does well, gets a bit of luck there. Just puts any sort of ball in the do. Just shifts his body and smacks it, deflected off the keeper. Keeper's got to do better there. Lallana there just keeps his head there. Quick feet. Gets a deflection, and this time it goes inside the, the post, not hitting the post like he did earlier. What a finish for Sam in his first game. Well, you got to hand it to the English. They got a huge win, but that was the sketchiest injury time goal I've seen in a while. The Slovakians were so tired. The keeper just watched the ball, and they're like, yeah, England, we're back, we're back. No, I don't think so. Tabang, how's it going? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good to have you in the studio. I've been wanting to get you in here for quite a while, but, uh, you know, we all have very busy lives. So in the past sort of month, six weeks, you've written some really great articles on the bounce. Um, I must say, like, I, I know enough about football to get by in most circles, but when I read your stuff, I feel like there's a little elevation there. So the big talk prior to the season starting, of course, is all the big transfers. Um, sure, we saw a lot. We saw stupid money changing hands. I mean, the English league went past the billion dollar mark. The billion dollar mark. I think the next best was, um, I've actually got That's some stats here. Syria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Here we go. Here are the actual stats. Okay. So the 2016 European football summer transfer window. Okay. So this is a small, this is what I call it a window. It's a small measure of time. Premier League England 
1.5 billion US dollars. Serie A Italy, 783 million dollars. Bundesliga Germany, 610 million dollars. La Liga, which is Spain, 531 uh, US dollars. And this is where it gets interesting. The fifth highest league, transfer-wise, was England's next division, the championship, mm. 285 million. And then Ligue 1, one from France, two hundred nineteen million. Oh, so let's touch on the transfers before we get into anything else, because I actually really want to have a proper Shakespeare chat with you. <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, let's warm it up. The transfer window were mostly good transfers from this time round, or was it another case of certain players being in the right place, right time, and got a lot of cash? Yeah, it's just that uh, players nowadays cost a lot of money. So if you want a certain player, you have to cough out the dough. Just like Higuain, he went for ninety million. Yeah, yeah. From, from you, Napoli to can you imagine? Juventus, imagine Messi having money. Messi having breakfast and he opens up the the, the back page <laughs> and there he is, Higuain going third biggest transfer of all yeah, time. Of all time, that's crazy. So in situations like that, but I feel some of the teams like like um I might not be neutral in this one, but Manchester United, I feel that. Made some big changes, especially from the back, especially in the midfield, buying Pogba and up front buying Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Although Zlatan was free, but you know, you get what I mean. They yeah. signed him regardless, exactly. even though his salary is huge. But I feel that the team is, is stronger than it was last season. But don't and you I also think, find that out of all the English teams right now, there's a genuine excitement around Man United again. Even the people who don't support them going, well, you know, Man United, this could yeah. be the, could, on yeah. the back of the fact that they use this, this, this transfer window properly. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of hype because you've got a hype manager, which is Mourinho. I think he was the first guy to ever spend a billion pounds himself as yeah, a manager or something yeah, like that yeah. or some sort of stat like that. So you would think that Man United, successful transfer season then, fair yes, to say. Yeah. Arsenal? Uh, not really, no. Do you think I so? Did, I, because I, think, I think Arsenal... Okay, obviously Arsenal are holding less back. money, less money, yes, less, less money. profile, which is, yes, this is the game. exactly what I mean. They need to buy a big profile player because it's a team at the end of the day. The big players are the ones that make a difference. So if you, like he bought, uh, who did he buy? A striker from Spain, I forgot his name, but it's nobody that we know or yeah. necessarily yeah. care about. He was from Deportivo La Coruña. Yeah. <laughs> what number did they finish in the league? You know? So, he might have be he might be an okay striker, but he's not a striker that we know, and he's not a striker that he's not an that Anton, I feel will make he's not a Anton Griezmann. Yeah, yeah he's not an Anton Griezmann. Which all the fans are looking for. Or Iguain. Iguain, say what you like about Iguain. He is a thirty-five plus goal striker. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Actually, look, he was good for for his previous team. Yeah, he so was. Not, yeah, let's not draw too much attention to him and how he fluffs games in the blue <laughs> and white striped jersey. Okay, so Man United, they were tops. I would say English Premier League, Man City. Are they also like? Yeah, look, I, I personally, I, I personally think Man City are going to win the league. They've got a brilliant coach, and they also made key signings uh, with uh, Ilkay Gundogan in the midfield. Uh, they bought Nolito up front, which is a very good player. Although he's uh, past twenty-five, but I really think for eighteen million, that was a good deal for them. And um, and John Stones at the back as well. He's young. He can play football. So yeah. it was kind of like Pep Guardiola looking at that because, of course, it's another great dynamic around these transfers mm-hmm. that these are first-season managers making these calls as well in their new teams, which is, I thought was quite exciting. Were you surprised when he told John Hart to get lost? Joe Hart. Sorry, Joe Hart. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no. I'm, I mean, Joe Hart is a, is a very good goalkeeper, but 
I suppose he can because what Guardiola likes, he likes uh players that can also play with their feet. I don't know if you've noticed this, even his center backs, you need to know how to play football, as mm-hmm. in not just uh you see a player like Mangala who went on loan. He was a good center back, he was big, he was strong, he was fast, but he could not play football. I, do you get what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. I'm a playmaker, it's more than just a primary yeah, job. It's, yeah, it's more than just a primary you job. Need Even Victor Valdez at Barcelona yeah. could play the ball from his feet and play it to a to a central midfielder who's coming from the midfield and turn around and play the ball. So I think that's that's part of the reason. Or you never know. Yeah, yeah, Toure can play football, but he's not. He's also not on the team. So yeah, throwing out yeah. of the Champions League squad. Huh? But there's yeah. been other issues from him prior to last season. Yeah. Okay, and then moving on to Chelsea, how you reckon they did in that transfer market? Chelsea, Chelsea, I like Chelsea. I like the coach. He has a lot of energy, and Chelsea will be also competing for the title with Manu and Man City. I feel they 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 got a, a centre back, if I'm not mistaken. They did, and they also got a striker. Yeah, a young striker. He used to play for Marseille. Yeah. He's pretty good. He's strong. He's also quick, and uh, he'll he'll come on the he'll come off the bench for Costa if needs be. Yeah. Also in the midfield, they they signed Kante, and Kante was the best player in the Premier League. Last well, he season. was, yeah. I doubt, and it was the biggest loss to Leicester, who yeah, then was. bought a couple of players, but they never really made a big big influence. We just. <laughs> Crazy, I, I, I forgot they actually bought Luis. That's the bag I was looking for. Well, I thought you were yeah. going to get into that subtly. <laughs> yeah, so that was quite yeah. a turnaround. So all in all, there were some really good good new names coming into uh, the English Premier yeah, League. And like, it just seems that all the money that goes, like they spend more on players because they know they can get the players can get more money out of these guys. Mm. But maybe it's a good thing for people who do love the league because, as you said, there's three obvious front runners here. We've got, okay, that, that Leicester thing last year. No, that's, that's, that's done. Yeah. That's done. Yeah. Maybe they, they'll be fighting for eighth and seventh this yeah, season. Yeah. yeah. But like the next Leicester might happen 30th time. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah. I, I think the season is going to be back to basics of you got your Manchester clubs, you got Chelsea doing really, really well. Uh. If Liverpool can somehow Build on a little bit of momentum from last year. Uh, I don't know because as soon as they beat someone three yeah, 0 they'll they'll lose to Burnley. The, yeah. the, 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 that's that, that's <laughs> Liverpool. Although they got rid of Balotelli, so maybe training will be a bit easier now. <laughs> so I think it's it's definitely those two three, and then you got Arsenal. Um, sorry, those three top teams. Then you got mm. Arsenal, Liverpool behind that, and then I mean Tottenham. Are, Tottenham are still a pretty good team. Well, I mean they've they were strong last season. Yeah, true. They're yeah, they're, in they're still they still have the same team. They don't lose players. They actually brought in players so i i feel also they'll be at least f- around four or five with arsenal okay well yeah <laughs> and and they've got the european the champions league exposure they're not going to last long in that league yeah so yeah okay and then know. they'll go back to uefa where they feel comfortable but still it's a big season for, for spurs as well so while um well that got off to a decent start the manchester clubs obviously then they top the log right now they're mm-hmm. showing good form mm-hmm. um the psl got started now the problem with the psl is that there's huge gaps all the time. Okay. I find it hard to, to, to kind of follow it. So they played the first round of games and then now there's a big break because international commitments, mm-hmm. MTNA cup. But regardless of what happened in that first round where well, basically Chiefs did what everyone expected them to do and then Chiefs did exactly what everyone expected them to do in the MTNA <laughs> cup as well. So is it very much another case of this year? It's all chasing sundowns. Yeah, it will be. It's tough yeah, to think of anything yeah, different. No, sundowns, sundowns are too strong. I don't think any team has the answers for Sundowns. They they bought well during the transfer, yeah. the transfer uh, period. I, I I do not see any other team coming against Sundowns and giving them uh, a run for their money this season. 
Yeah, again, yeah. it just comes down to Sundowns balancing their responsibilities. So they're yeah. semis of the of the CAF Champions League. Look, right? I see Kaiser Chiefs. Kaiser Chiefs don't have a, a striker that could score goals for them. Same as Orlando Pirates. Uh, Bitvis Viz are okay, but I don't think they're at that Sundowns level yet. Yeah. But they they will win their sh- fair share of games. Uh, with and uh, Super Sport, Super Sport, uh, like Liverpool, they too inconsistent. On the day they can beat you, yeah. But just like inconsistency is what will kill them at the end of the season. So I think what it comes down to is Arsenal now is going to be able to resp- manage all responsibilities. Yeah, they got Champions yeah, League, the continental football, which yeah. is a, takes quite a lot out of you. No matter if you're playing, I mean, the last game that they played in mud, basically it's like driving <laughs> rain. It's hard, so they're yeah. they're doing well there. They're going to contest in every one of the cups. Mm. There's no, no doubt about that. Mm. And uh, then obviously the league, and it's a long, long season in that respect. So, again, their only obstacle is their own expectations. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's get into the AFCON, right? So we saw – it was actually quite an entertaining uh, final weekend of AFCON mm-hmm. because Burkina Faso, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Togo, Tunisia, Uganda, Algeria, Cameroon, Egypt, Ghana, Guinea-Bissau, Ivory Coast, Mali, Morocco, Senegal, and Zimbabwe mm. – all of those teams are through. Yes. Of course, Africa was not mentioned yes. in that. Now, we have cocked surprise, this up. Surprise, surprise. Again, it wasn't the toughest group. Uh, the game against Mauritania on the weekend, also very uninspiring. Missed um, a penalty to even make things worse. So, now, Bafana is standing there going, well, we had our opportunities. Cliche, cliche, cliche. Basically, we're looking forward to October the 3rd, <laughs> first World Cup qualifier. That's great. We've all heard this before. And... um Again, Sheikh Mashab was sitting there like every other Bafana coach. He hasn't delivered. He's disappointed. What's different this time around? Or is it just always the same crap? Look, Bafana, Bafana shouldn't be joining against Mortenia. I think there's like uh, 200,000 people yeah. in, the, <laughs> in Mortenia. He was mandated to qualify for the AFCON and also for Russia. Yeah. Afcon is Afcon obviously is not going to happen now, and Afcon Russia, yeah. obviously the easier one. Yeah, the easier <laughs> one is not going to happen, and uh, Russia doesn't seem like it's going to happen either. So it seems like okay, I they probably is going to get to the point where he is going to get fired, you know. But it's 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 a question of when rather than yeah. If. Okay, so on performance. He must get fired because he's a professional and he's in a professional job and there's yes, requirements yes. and performance, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Okay, cool. So fire him. But it's a football, right? Now, nothing's ever changed. So the next, <laughs> let's just say the next Sheikh Mashaba because there's no even, even, even a point suggesting another name because they have the same <laughs> yeah. problems. They're going to have the same mis- uh, underperforming players and the same structures where they can't do a whole bunch. And I don't think they've got a lot of access to the youth structures either. Mm. And if that, that's going to be strong enough. So, it it almost feels like this is not going to make a difference if they drop yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's the, and that's the saddest point. Now you'll know a lot more than this about about this than I do. Mm-hmm. But it, is it is it almost like it? It's are we too far gone from like intervention or something to happen here? <laughs> because a foreign coach is not going to work. This we've tried all that kind of cuck. Mm-hmm. We tried the foreign coach. We've tried different captains. We've tried, ugh, I mean, endless kind of things. <laughs> uh, we, we've gone through more coaches than kit sponsors. And there's been a lot of those too. <laughs> So, I mean, is there anything we can, as fans, grab onto here? Look, right now, I can't think of anything that will make our players play better. I mean, we're always saying, like you're saying, no, but we do have the talent. We do have this. It's just one, two things that are missing. But it's been over a decade now where Bafana Bafana has done nothing on the international stage. So 
right now I do not have the answers. I do not know. I'll try to think of something and maybe and think and say no. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe Safa should take a look at that and maybe something else will happen. But right now I do not see anything, especially with the players that we do have now. They might not be good enough anyway. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so that's the situation right now. I do not know what to say about it's that. It's just like when, when I look just across this list of Africa, AFCON qualifiers and I look at these countries and, I, and like I'm not being I'm not being ignorant or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I just look at the like what these ha- countries must have facility wise, <laughs> structure wise, <laughs> league wise. Yeah, I know. Like, how, how is it that, that Togo, the, the, the economic <laughs> might of Togo, are consistently always better than us? How is it that Uganda? I mean, the last time I checked, Uganda's biggest objective was basically suppressing homosexuals. <laughs> how is it they can get a football team? I mean, these guys haven't been in Afcon since 1978. Yeah. How, how can they do it? How can Zimbabwe, a team, a, a country that's well, okay? In let me right let me put this to you. Why do you, why do you why do you, why in your opinion why do you feel? That our our rugby and our cricket are at that level because they 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 are at the elite level. Yeah, we and don't, we, we don't qualify for World Cups; we contest them. Yes, yes, yes. Why? Why do you think it's the okay? Best? First thing, football's a whole lot more difficult. There is hundreds <laughs> of teams that are playing. Okay, okay? Yes, so, yes. I mean, if you look at it in that respect, that's the first thing you got to acknowledge. Okay. Football's a hell of a lot more competitive. Everyone, the world is playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The world isn't playing rugby uh, union yeah. or or just cricket. The world plays football. Um, I think there's been. Obviously, a lot more money, a lot more infrastructure and stuff like that went to cricket and rugby. Oh, okay. In if the you, past, If you yeah. think about it in the past, yeah. um, all the facilities and really good schools are pushing people to become really good at cricket and, and rugby. Okay. That also helps a huge amount. Okay. Look, there's no doubt about it. Football hasn't been given the easiest ride in this country. Yes, yes. It's one of those sports that everyone plays because it's easy to, right? So, this, this thing about schools, like you're saying, the different schools, the Afis yeah. and, you know, the... King Edwards, that's the ones I know, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a culture of the schools being competitive at high school level. From early age. Yes. Exactly. So is is that a, the culture something we can build as 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 football or is it something that you feel that it cannot happen because it it's it's for for the rugby and the cricket it's been there for a long time and it's... Well, I think you're answering your question in the space of two minutes. We, <laughs> we need to actually have a rethink of the structures that go hand-to-hand yeah. hand here. From my understanding, there's a couple of gangsters that own football in this country. Yeah, They won't like to be called gangsters, but I think everyone <laughs> kind of knows. So if you look back, as your question, why is it that rugby and cricket have done so well in this country uh-huh. on a world scale? Uh-huh. Um, other than the obvious, um, yeah, it's just opportunities, good opportunities to be compared to right from the start. I mean, like I saw these guys playing a six-a-side game yesterday on the field by my house. Okay. And you look at and all those guys are talented. Uh-uh. All of them are talented. But what happens with talent? Mm-hmm. It's nothing without a team structure. There's nothing without a, a, a progression plan for these guys. There's nothing without academies. So, yeah, maybe that's another thing. All right, um, just finally, MTNA Cup, because Dan's here. I really want to get into the rugby with him. Um, MTNA Cup, any surprises you hear, see? No. You know, Cape Town City, the new team, no. obviously beating Kaiser Chiefs. Like, doesn't mean a whole yeah, bunch. Lucky win against Kaiser Chiefs. They, <laughs> they're not going to do anything. Sun out in the final. They'll play. 
Whoever is whoever else is the other team and so Sundance will get there with someone else. <laughs> yeah, Sundance will get there with someone else and they'll win. So we've got the, we've got I mean that locally is our next big thing to look out for, yeah, right? That's this, this weekend. weekend. Okay. And then the final will be relatively close to that. Yeah. Okay. So so the first chance of silverware for the season, we can already just sort of pencil in uh Sundance here. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tabang, well, it's been great chatting to you. Okay. Time has absolutely flown. Um yeah, we definitely want to get some more of you on the show if time or if we can't find the time for it. Otherwise, where do people find you on the internet? Yeah, they can find me on my blog, mm-hmm. Zobo blog, that's Z-O-B-O, yeah. football blog, F-O-O-B-A-L-B-L-O-G dot Z-O-R-A, or on Twitter, at cheese underscore Zobo blog, that's C-H-I-Z underscore Z-O-B-O-B-L-O-G. Lekker. Yeah. All right, Zabang, so thanks, man. Um, and now I feel like I can go talk about football this week. <laughs> on the back of this alright so after yeah. this we're going to come back and Dan's going to talk about something that I think we all need to start embracing as South Africans for the All Blacks heartache and heartbreak It's a moment of prayer. What a sight. A team that is committed for their country. But all of us in New Zealand should feel Sorry, that was a bit soft. Uh, basically, what it was was the 95 World Cup final when uh, France Alpino and the rest, they took a knee and... Uh, the Springboks were champions. Yep, they were champions. So you may ask, why the hell am I playing that? I mean, like, I wasn't trying to prove to Bung right that rugby have been better <laughs> than football in this country. It's because Dan is here from Conquer Sport. And Dan, your topic for this week is? Hey, uh, yeah. yes, my first, uh, well, nice nice studio, first of all. Very, very... Wait, 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 hang on a second, hang on a second. I'll turn you up a little bit. Hello. Okay, much better. There you go. How's it so, going? Yeah, first time, first time on this mixer, and I've got to say, I've hardly cocked things up. Eh? That was the first cock up. Your gain was a bit slow. slow. That's all right. Shiny new studio it takes a, a teething process, I think. Yeah. So if you are listening right now and you are just a bit confused by what's happening in Cliff Central right now, Touch Central is the music channel. Cliff Central is the talk channel. But the bounce show, nothing changes. You can listen to it live right here every Monday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. SA time. Otherwise, just catch the podcast with me and my great guests, all the content. So nothing changes. But we're in a different studio today. Well pointed out. Yeah, Dan, so back to topic. Cool. So the topic um, on Conquer Sport this week is entitled fans and uh, why successful legacies breed entitlement amongst fans. But specifically, why Springbok fans are delusional is uh is what i'm tackling and um i get into the history of 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 why that is and basically what i come up with and and i should point out that this is uh a couple of years ago i read an article by mark kirhane um prominent sports uh, rugby writer yep. and he kind of positioned this first but I, I thought that with manchester united winning in the last minute last week and the springboks losing for the first time away to argentina here are two giant teams that kind of went in different directions. Um, Manchester United's last-minute victory was kind of seen as a return to the norm, whereas the Springboks' loss was seen as something that deviated from the norm. And, and I thought that was a great, a great opportunity to speak about entitlement and why certain teams' supporters just take success for granted. 
Yeah, well, I, see, when you told me about this topic, I thought it's about time because people often just bitch and moan and it's this and it's that. But when do they ever get in touch with what's really going on? So just to that point, Dan, the reason why I played that 95 World Cup is because since 1995, okay, just to kick you off with some stats here, since 1995, that's heroic win. Mm-hmm. All Blacks and Rocks have played 48 times, right? 34 times All Blacks have won, 14 times the Box have won. Points for 1,300 for the All Blacks, 936. So that's an average. Every single time these guys run out, the All Blacks win 27-20, which I think is a bit flattering, actually. Yeah, it's probably good for us. Yeah, Really flattering that because there's been two occasions the Springboks have registered zero. Wow. There's been two occasions the All Blacks have registered 50. There's been 23 occasions, right, since 1995 in those 34 matches where the All Blacks have won by more than seven points. Wow. Now, if you were... Looking at this sport for the first time, you go, jeepers, this is like, um, I don't know, uh, Nick Krigrios trying to take on Novak Djokovic and give him mouth about being better than him. Right. And, and what I, what I speak about in the article is, is, is why no matter, despite those facts, which is a win rate of 29%, um, since 95, <laughs> we still, we, we still think that the box are going to win where we don't even win a third of the matches against New Zealand. And the reason why is because, there's an, there's an enduring myth about the Springboks that they are all yes. conquering, and where that comes from is that before isolation, um, South Africa beat beat New Zealand 54 percent of the time. Yeah, that means we beat New Zealand more times than they beat us. So that was before that was before isolation. You won't hear a line like that around too much nowadays. Right, exactly. Well, unless you're talking about cricket. <laughs> um, so. So then isolation hits, and, and and we weren't allowed to play in New Zealand. But because the Perception was that we were still world beaters. Curry Cup was the pinnacle for for South African rugby, and when we watched the Sharks versus Western Province, for example, every gigantic tackle, every scintillating try that was scored, we assumed based on what was happening that fifty four percent of the time we beat New Zealand. Incidentally, we beat Australia seventy five percent of the time. So, and today we only beat them forty five percent of the time. Wow, so, that is a big drop off. Big huh? drop off. So, so. Because pre-isolation we were doing this, during isolation we assumed that once we return, we will still continue to be world beaters. And if anything, winning in 95 just cemented the idea. Because as soon as we came back, that was right, you know, we've proven it. I mean, uh, Louis Late at the closing dinner of the uh, of the 95 World Cup said that there were no true cha- world champions in 87 and 91 because South Africa was not there. And I mean, this led New Zealand, England, and France to walk out of the dinner. But the point is that. Wow, that's so unrelated said that. Huh? <laughs> right, in, in typical fashion. But the point is that the, the myth about the Springbok was cemented after winning the 95 World Cup. And, and it still continues to this day. Well, I'm reading a great book at the moment with, uh, Gavin Rich wrote the book about all the Springbok coaches. I right? heard the conversation a couple of weeks ago. Well, last okay, week. so just totally plays what you're saying. There was this myth that we were the most amazing team. And then because during apartheid, there was nothing to ever contest the theory. But then we came back into rugby 92. Mm-hmm. We were so arrogant as a, as a country that they had, Two days putting a team together, literally two days. They played the All Blacks and they played Australia. Okay, Australia were world champs back then. All Blacks were the All Blacks. Right. Back to back weekends, we put a team together in three days. No, no, Lekka, no, we're going to be the best. Um, very flattering result against the All Blacks, who just ran out of steam towards the end. Um, we had a cuck team. I mean, Nas was pretty much there. We had a very bits and pieces team, and then the Aussies walloped us in the rain, but like killed us, and we were crap. And 95, again, just reiterating what you said, 95 was probably the worst thing that could have happened for SA Rugby. 
because again, it wasn't a, okay, nation building yeah, like double edged sword, yeah, right, right. Brilliant. But where they were and this whole idea of invincibility, because the All Blacks then came here in ninety six, clapped us. Right. Again, flattering result in the third test because they ran out of steam at Highfelt. But they clapped us. And nothing changed. So the amateurish nature of all the stuff that was going in, which I still think hinders all our rugby today, they just thought they were like, No, no, we're the Springboks, we're the best. And they didn't have to ever do anything outside of that. They just thought Afrikaans guys are going to run really hard into anyone, and we'll probably win on the back of that. And and I think I think the myth of 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 the all conquering Springbok kind of sums up our our country. You know, we're so insecure as a Delusional. nation. Delusional. Delusional. <laughs> we're we're so insecure as a nation, and we just we you know. I wrote down a quote here. There was a, an old colonial quote that said that no matter what happens, we have the maximum gun and, and they do not. I kind of think that. The South African ideology is that no matter what happens in our politics, Zuma, Guptas, whatever, no matter what happens, we have the Springboks and they do not. And I think that we just pin all our hopes on our sports na- on our sports teams. And it's almost that our our need for 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 our sports teams to succeed and punch above our weights on on the world stage trumps any sort of logical reason. I mean, I, I write an article, you know, why would a sports fan need logic when they got hubris and arrogance? And and <laughs> and and we got that in spades as, as Springbok fans. I mean, I, Spot on. When, when I when I watch the Springboks, and I, and I like to think of myself as a, a pretty logical sports guy, but I can't help it. I put on I put on a Springbok jersey and I, and I just assume that we will beat. And, and, and I find myself, whenever we lose to Australia or New Zealand or teams that deserve to beat us. Japan. I, I, Japan. I'm, I'm astounded that it happens still. And, and I, you know, despite myself, I, I still can't quite fathom a world where the Springboks aren't the best, even though logic shows that we're not. So do you think there's anything in South African sport and culture that maybe we're a lot more realistic about? Well, our politics. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pretty realistic about our politics, I think. But as I say, we, we, it's almost like, our, our, our athletes and our sports teams are like our children, and, we, and we're that we're that parent that can't see the flaws. And you know, oh, he's got a drug problem. Well, it must be his friends. You know, yeah. well, we lost the rugby. Well, it was the ref. The sun was in our eyes. It's, it, there's too much political meddling in sport. No, we're just not very good, and we haven't been very good for a while. And I think that sort of honesty needs to also come from our administrators and and our athletes and coaches themselves. But then we slam our athletes and coaches. I mean, if can you imagine if if uh, Kutsia came out and said that, well, sorry, we're, we're not going to beat the, the All Blacks and we're not going to beat Australia. Our press would slam him for, oh, yeah. for a defeatist attitude. Defeatist, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Pessimistic Be- outlook. Because if, if you, if you want to talk about the Springbok in, in a negative way or the protein in a negative way, then you're unpatriotic. Yeah, so it is a real, like, I, I've had this debate over, like, with friends at Bryce and that kind of stuff. Where they're either completely negative or we're going to lose. But they're not saying it because of stats. They're saying it because they're just trying to be a dick. Right. And then it's like, the, oh, we should be killing these guys. That whole thing, we should be beating these guys. Mm. You've got to ask yourself, okay, obviously I'm not talking to you, Dan, because you know what you're talking about. But you've got to ask yourself, what brings people to say that we should be winning? Where's the should? Have you been at a training the whole week? Have you really worked out what this team is good at? Have you think that the team has been put together? No, it's all a thumb suck. So we just got to drop this... We we should we should be doing this because we have nothing to base it on at all. I think I think what it is uh, I, I've I've said it before. I, th- I think it's I think it's an insecurity and I, and I think it's a, a, an an inherent need, you know, a, a real real need for the Springboks and, and and our teams to do well because of all the the drama and, and the failures that, that that are unfolding around us. And it's almost like someone 
who just needs their business to succeed so or needs to succeed in the restaurant industry so they'll open up a new restaurant or bar and despite all the the logic that says that this bar or restaurant is going to fail they just keep kind of plying through and won't listen to logic and won't listen to reason and i think it's that on the world stage we're not big players and when we were isolated the borders of the country was the world that 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 was you know the confines that that was the age of the world and and anything that happened in here was the best it was yeah, exactly. and uh as as we've said when we came out we won and it was like okay well you know had we played in 87 and 91 we would have won and it's the same with our cricket you know our, our last test series was when grand pox uh, Graham Pollock scored that double century against Australia hmm. and we still think that okay well you know all we got to do is pick 11 guys and they'll go and win but it's it's just not the case and i think that uh Perhaps a a pretty unsuccessful season for Kutsiana, and I want Kutsiana to stay for the, until the until the next World Cup. When but we've already had unsuccessful seasons, <laughs> and we still don't get a. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a generational thing. But you, you, know what, you touched on it already. There's so many different facets of play here, right? It's not about sport. A lot of people in this country they have they have debt, they have jobs they hate, they have partners they're uninspired with, they have children who probably don't even like them and they know this, okay? So Monday to Friday, they're plugging through all this crap. They're Mm -hmm. paying bills, they're paying tax and then they see our president doing what he does with tax money. Everyone is angry, okay? But there's no outlet because you can't go to SARS and go, you know what, guys, screw you. You can't go to your boss and say, this job sucks. You can't do any of that but what you can do, you can shout to the guy with a ball at the TV and it is just unthinkable that this person could make a mistake right his life from under friday or hers has been one mistake off the other but shit this cannot happen with a spring box just like their own team and when you go watch live sports which is obviously obviously fueled by a lot of alcohol the, the mindset is you're either the best or really piss off right and I, I think i think you know you speak you speak of the ideology of the country i think what's also interesting is that you look at other, other great sporting countries and take england They'll go and whole whole stadium will fill out despite how awful they are. And I think yeah. maybe we don't do self-deprecation as well as the English do because un- unless we're winning, we 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 can't support our team. We, I mean, no one wants to support a losing team in Look this country. Look at Loftus. Look at Loftus right now. There is I've never met a more passionate rugby um, audience than the Blue Bulls. Right, and next because they beat the Lions, next week will be full. But when they lose the game because they're not a very good side. The week after will be empty and it'll just kind of keep flexing like that because we don't do self-deprecation because, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll tune our own, our own country and our own politicians, but how dare a foreigner mm. say anything bad about our country? Then all of a sudden we're the most patriotic people. And if only that could kind of filter into our sports. I mean, and, and the truth is it's a game, you know, I know, I know that sports means so much for this country and that we need the Springboks to win and nation building and blah, blah, blah. But I think maybe we just, put too much of that so so we see our, when our when our teams lose as a failure of the nation as opposed to just and also just a, a mass, game yeah it's outsourcing your masculinity a lot of the time I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because because it is such a hyper masculine thing to be a springbok fan you know yeah. pe- the people that shout at the grounds have always got the deepest voices well, think about it you just put about a kilogram of animal onto a, onto a, a grill and you're going to eat <laughs> yeah. meat and drink, drink a bottle of brandy. And drink a bottle of brandy. Your team's got to be as tough as you. And if they're not, well, shit, that's a whole day wasted. Exactly. I mean, it's you know, when you go when you go to gra- when you go to a rugby stadium and you you just you just kind of feel this this hyper masculinity, and you almost you know, I, I kind of only get involved once I once I once I'm at my seat and I'm kind of surrounded by my mates. But uh, you do you get swept up in it, and you and you you want to beat your chest, and you want to sing really loudly, and you want to. 
you know, raw for your team. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's not a coincidence that, that we get so disheartened when our team, when our, when our Springbok team loses. And we're so blinded by, by the ideology around being a Springbok fan that we just can't see logic. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is that we uh, get more in your life. Get get hobbies, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, have more to your life. That I mean, when the box used to lose, I used to be upset. Huh? I used to be so down and despondent. But um, I changed the channel. Huh? I move on in my life quite quickly now. But that's the thing. I've gone through the ringer with this. I've understood everything you said today, and I really appreciated how you balanced it. But a lot of people, it's like I just want to get to Saturday. I just want to get to Saturday. I want to bry. I want to shout. I want to scream. And this will be this will be the weekend. Yes, we've lost seven times to the All Blacks, yeah. but I just got a feeling that this is going to be the They're weekend. They're going to have looks in Yeah. All right, Dan. That's unfortunately the time we got for this week. Um, we have run out of time. I did have some interviews. Uh, I went to the festival, the SF Festival of Motoring of the weekend. Right. Oh, uh, cool. Coolest thing. Um, I went with Nissan, so I got to experience the GTR. Not to 102.7 seconds. Did you drive it? I, okay, I didn't get to drive it, but I was in the passenger seat on, and it went around the track twice. Cool. It, it ate everything around us. All the cars scattered. It was amazing. Wow. And uh, Dale Stane and Cookie Sorobato were there. They're the ambassadors for Nissan. Okay. So I got to chat to both of them. So I'll play you those clips next week. Such cool guys. So, like, I, I never try chat to players because now I really battled to write. Tough gig you got you, Objectively. Ben. Yeah, I know. Someone's got to do it. Um, it actually really is. <laughs> For other reasons, um, I I don't often speak to speak to players because if I get to know them, then I I battle to write about them. So you mean yeah. critically? Yeah. Okay. So I wish I stay away from them, but uh, yeah, Dale Stane, what an incredible guy! And and how can you be critical about Dale Stane? Well, one no, day. no, don't don't start. Don't, I don't want to hear it. Don't don't ruin him for me. <laughs> no, he's the he's the greatest sports person ever. We're gonna try to get a full interview with him on the morning show here on Cliff Central. But that is it. All the time we have uh, left. Dan, what else is happening on the site this week? What do you look out for? So another article this week, um, all about U.S. swimming. Um, how how are they so good? I mean, they no other no other Olympic team dominates like U.S. swimming. So that'll be coming out uh, this week, and you can check us out on Conquer Sports um, on our website, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Of course, we, like only, we only have Dan here once a month, but every single week he's bringing out articles like this. So go on to conquersport.com and enjoy all the things you may have missed. Yeah, Dan, uh, we have to cut it off right there, but thanks for joining me in the new studio. Thank you very much. It it's very been, nice, yeah. It's been lots of fun. Now, let me see if I can finish on a high and choose the right channel for music. Look at me go. Yes. Hold on. Catch you back. Oh, a uh, new show happening right now on Cliff Central. If you're listening, uh, Can't Ball, Can't Throw. Dennis, my Aussie mate, he's got his show, which is now being it's a big deal in Australia. And if you're listening live, you can catch that next on cliffcentral.com. Otherwise, go on to the bounce.co.za and catch this show and a whole bunch of other stuff you can look forward to. Bye. This is cliffcentral.com.